to the Fort Big Book Studies Groups Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. And let's have our joke from Noah. Family, my name is Noah and I'm an alcoholic. I will be your alcoholic comedian tonight. And here we go. The man chairing the meeting called on a younger member to share. She said, oh, I've had a terrible day. I wasn't centered. I felt alienated. My childhood within was deprived. I wasn't self-actualized at all. An old-timer who was hard of hearing leaned over and whispered to a friend, what'd she say? The friend replied, she's hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Robert. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we are going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please shut off all the devices that will make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the steps study tonight. Is everybody ready? Yep. If so, let's start the meditation.
Let your love shine through me like a fog light. So those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Garrett to read the Appendix 2 Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it is kind of important that we know which one, what one is. Hi, my name is Garrett, I'm an alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular appeal, appeals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Through it was not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, through, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you.
from disturbing others by talking constantly, getting up and down, um, sitting up and down. Uh, this is a tech-free meeting, so please set your phone to airplane or meeting mode or just turn it off. Um, I have the honor of introducing the speaker again. Um, the slender threads of AA are woven into this amazing blanket we call life, and our paths have tr crossed so many different times, you know. Um, we've known each other since we grew up, and I've seen her recover, and she carried the message to me when I was at my worst. So let's hear what God has to say through Bobby. Hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Bobby. Every time Rob says that, it reminds me of, like, such a great time in my life. I mean, growing up was the best. I had fun for a while. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> then it got rough. But when I got to go to Conti Men's Jail here for many years to do service, it was amazing. God was so good to me. I mean, how many times do you get to see a woman, a young woman, walk into Conti and go into their program units and help men. <laughs> you don't get to see that very often. I got to do that. It was probably one of the first. Um, and as a result of that, I was able to bring a lot of other people in there. And now there's still people going in there in my position because I left that job two years ago to work for myself. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, but it was such a wonderful thing. I loved, I like working in all the jails, but believe it or not, Conti for the men were, was probably one of the best places I got to work in all the years that I was working in the field of helping others. So anyways, I'm back. I'm here. I went glamping. Um, I'm dressed like a true Floridian right now. I don't know if you guys spotted that, but I'm wearing flip-flops, jean shorts, um, a pair of sunglasses as a headband, and a sweatshirt because it's under 85 degrees in here. So that's a true Floridian uh, outfit. <laughs> Loving it. Oh, and I got no CM bites literally everywhere because I am allergic to no CMs. And we spent an entire week in Sanibel Island, right in the middle of a nest of the biggest nest of no CMs. For those of you guys who don't know what those are, those are little itty bitty tiny bugs. You're so little, you can't even see them. No see thems. No CMs. That's actually their name though. Google it, look it up and they bite. So, um, not that you guys care, but anyways, um, I get to come back here. I heard Monica came as a good friend of mine last week and she did phenomenal. I'm sure she's good at that capturing attention. She's got a touch, tad bit of, uh, ADHD plus a good story <laughs> and she knows how to speak well. So put those three things together and you got yourself a decent speaker. So today I get to talk about two of my very favorite steps, and next week is going to be my last week, so tonight we're going to talk about step 10 and 11, and then next week we'll, stop, we'll start talking about 12, and I probably won't finish, so I'll leave you guys hanging on the cliff. No, I'm just joking. I'll finish, but it's critical to work these steps in order. You know, a lot of people like to do the three steps I got a problem. I'm sorry. How can I help you? And, and there's like so much in between that to help you build as a person, to help remove the ego that's blocking you from seeing reality, from lifting the denial up off of you so that you can see where you actually might, may have really caused trouble and where you are still causing trouble. So there's like a, there's a process 
And I, I know I do this every week, but I like to do this for people who have not been here. Just a quick snippet on these steps. And one, two, and three was I can't, he can, I'm going to let him. Easy peasy. One, describe the um, actual scientifically proven illness of alcoholism and how it how our bodies function when we put alcohol into our body. Step two is, is hope. That's where, well, you are really sick. You cannot safely drink alcohol, but you also cannot safely not drink alcohol. You're screwed unless you surrender your will to something much bigger and more powerful than you because lack of power is your problem. And a power bigger than yourself is going to be the solution. The solution is something outside of human knowledge, human strength, human power. That means we're going to talk about God. And step three, we're like, all right, cool. I'm not 100% all into this, but I'm definitely interested. I'm willing. I got a little seed of hope, a little seed of faith. I'm willing to take the steps necessary. I'm going to complicate it for sure. Um, As long as I don't pick up and keep coming back, I might just actually get this thing. That's kind of where I was at in step three. And, and how do I continually turn my will and life over to the care of God as I understand him? It's so simple, so simple that people like us can complicate it <laughs> to the T. We can complicate it so much because it's too easy. When things are too easy for us, we overanalyze it. We're like, there's no way it's that simple. Let me mess this whole thing up. Let me take my will back, do it all, lean on my own understanding, have consequences and be like, oh, it must be the program, not me. So the the most easiest way to do the third step on a daily basis is put one foot in front of the other, do what's in front of you to do, trust that God has a plan, take action when action's necessary and leave the results up to God and don't look back. Just keep on doing it. Because guess what? You're going to learn through trial and error. And the more that you let go, the more you will receive. Because I was always taught that I'm either going to be relying on God or I am in fact denying him. That to me is a powerful statement. I love having a relationship with God. In fact, it's been the absolute best thing that's ever happened to me in all my life is knowing that God exists and building a relationship with him. So for me to think, oh, wow, really? So if I'm not actually relying on you, I'm actually defying you, that's scary. So yeah, I want to just do this one foot in front of the other thing, even though I'm not very good at it. I want to keep doing that. And over the years with practice, I've gotten better and better and better and better. And what's been happening as a result of that? Fear has been removed tremendously tremendously. There was two ways to deal with fear. We could say F everything and run. We get back to the same situation later in life, but now it's harder. Or we say, nope, I'm going to face it and I'm going to recover. When we do that, we are gifted with a little bit more hope, a little bit more faith. And faith is the best gift you can get. Now that I've discovered this beautiful love relationship with God in one, two, and three, I want to get closer to him. And how did I do that with an inventory? I took, a, I took a look at the things that were blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit more than anything in the world. Why am I doing this? Because I wanted to have a closer relationship with God. I wanted him to come into my life. I wanted him to enter and expel the problem, which somewhere on that journey, I found out that alcohol and drugs were never the problem. They were always my solution. I was the problem. The way that I thought 
my reactions to life, my attitude, my belief system, my decision-making. That is the problem. It just, unfortunately, I found drugs and alcohol to kind of solve some of that for a period of time. And people like me build tolerance towards those solutions rather quickly. And what happens when you build tolerance towards any solution? The solution becomes an enemy, a foe. He's not your friend anymore. Now, in fact, your solution starts to cause more problems than solution. Eventually, we're in that pit of desperation. The quicksand sucks us in and surrounds our whole life because of this one thing that used to solve a problem. Alcohol did that so good that we could no longer go back to it ever again, even after 20, 30 years of sobriety. So let's go ahead and get rid of the stuff that is blocking us from the sunlight of the spirit. And we discovered in that process that the three things was resentments, fear, and our sexual conduct. We needed to take an honest inventory because if we didn't, just like any commercial inventory, we would go broke. Not financially broke per se, but spiritually broke. We want our shop to be up. We want it to be a top of the charts selling and very successful. And in order to do that, we had to be honest and we had to be thorough. And in the process, know somebody that is alive and willing to hear all your details. Whether that is a sponsor, a closed mouth friend, a priest, a doctor, a psychologist, a therapist, your best friend, as long as that person is not going to be affected by the information received. Why I personally chose a sponsor for the majority of the stuff on my fourth step, because my sponsor has walked in very similar shoes, was able to give me some counsel and guidance and to let me know that I'm not alone. After we did that, we realized and discovered that there was so much more wrong with us than drinking and drugging. Alcohol was but a symptom, we heard. We hear it over and over and over again. But if alcohol is just a symptom, there's more work to be done. So when I put down the drink, November 21st, 2007, all the way until June 1st, 2023, I should have like massive massive support here. I should be pretty well in regards to picking up a drink and a drug. Sometimes I feel that way. But the truth is that alcoholism is cunning, baffling, and powerful. It's progressive and fatal, whether you are drinking or not. Which means that from that date until this date, my disease has progressively gotten worse Despite the fact that I have had a drink of alcohol at all, it wants me dead. It's so ready for the right moment. It is like a starving, ravenish lion waiting to attack, cease, and destroy at every opportunity. And trust me when I tell you, thank you, that this disease, this lion isn't coming at you because things are necessarily going bad. In fact, it knows exactly what pushes your buttons for the good and for the bad. And as soon as it knows, it's going to press in on that issue. 
And sometimes pressing in on that issue makes you think you're doing better than you've ever done before. So I must be doing something right. This is why it's critical to have a mentor, a.k.a. a sponsor, or a group of people in your life that are on the same path. Because we talked in 6 and 7 about defects of character, shortcoming, maladjustments, um, liabilities, however you want to call it. We're, for me, I'm going to discuss it as the seven deadly sins. Nationally known as the seven deadly sins. Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. Just look at those as, as seven big words, and underneath them are all these other little titles that we call defects of character. Guess what? Here's the good news. Every single person has them. And here's the bad news. Every single person has them. But the difference between people like us and people like non-alcoholics, we reach to a solution that makes the problem worse, unfortunately for us. And because alcohol becomes such a problem, most likely our other solutions we replace with alcohol become a problem quite quickly too. We think that this is a curse, but indeed it is, in fact, an amazing gift. We don't regret the past nor which to shut the door on it. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. All these things we hear, right? What a blessing it is to know that I'm not getting well anytime soon. There's going to be more work to be done, period. I'm constantly in the motion of progressively getting better every day. That's where I want to be for me. And these sins that we're referring to in the defect shortcoming steps, they're holding me back. They're actually causing more problems than good. Long story short, they're affecting my relationships with my brothers and sisters here on earth. If I want to be the light and the, if I want to be the fog light, so those who are lost, sick and dying, I need to be a better version of me. And what does that even look like? What do I aspire to be like? Is it a person in Alcoholics Anonymous? Usually at the beginning it is. But at the end of the day on this journey, at some point somewhere, you're probably going to be wanting and desiring to be more like him. Capital H-I-M, the heavenly father, the spirit of the universe. He is everything or he is nothing. That is the hymn that they are talking about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the only way to get this started, it says it right here, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. I don't know, somebody said to me, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was really good. I wish I would have had it recorded or written down when I walked in. He said, I, I went home and I spoke to my wife. I told her she's 30 pounds overweight and she's still watching pornography and she hasn't been to a meeting. She's full of sin or something like that. I was like, go get her, get her. He's probably talking about himself, but. <laughs> we all have it, right? So what does it mean for our road to get more narrow? It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It just means that what used to not bother me is bothering me now. It's bothering me now. 
I don't want to be 30 pounds overweight, not just because it doesn't feel good in my jeans, not because uh, I don't look good in pictures, although that's usually a bonus if you drop some weight, but because God gave me a body, only one single solitary body, how am I going to treat it? Four years into sobriety, I was smoking a pack a day. God laid it upon my heart. This is not everybody's story, but it's, it's mine. God laid it upon my heart. You're killing yourself. I began to have a desire to stop smoking. I asked God in prayer and be careful what you ask him for. God, I cannot remove this habit without your help. You know, it started happening. I couldn't breathe all day long. I was smoking my first cigarette four hours after I would wake up in the morning because I couldn't breathe in the morning at all. And I started smoking those little marble minis. I don't even know what they call them anymore, but the little tiny ones because I couldn't finish a whole cigarette because I could barely breathe. I felt like I was breathing out of a coffee straw. And I went on suffering like that for a whole year. Then all of a sudden they had that woman with the uh, voice box because she had her esophagus removed from throat cancer on the radio every day. And I'm like, dude, okay, I get it. And I quit smoking. I don't know how many years ago that is. On my 30th birthday, so almost, almost 13 years ago. Crazy. Not because I'm better than anybody. I'm just letting you know this is the story I have. You know, like the road becomes more narrow. I can go into all the wonderful things I used to do that I don't do anymore, but it's a little TMI if you know what I mean. Things don't settle right in my spirit the way that it used to. Because the closer that you get to God, the more freedom you feel, the more freedom you feel, the happier you, happier you are, the more joyful you experience. And I think I told you the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is being able to go through the toughest times in your life and still be confident that everything is going to be okay. If you feel that, God is going to continue to pluck things out of your life and your road's going to get more and more narrow. All you got to do is ask. Eight and nine, we made a list. We made a list of every single person and we became willing. And if we weren't willing, what did we do? We prayed for the willingness because it says in our literature that if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. 30 minutes later, I went through the 12 steps. I told you real quick, right? I need to build you up because we've done a lot of work up till this point. We've done a lot of work. We've been honest. We've been thorough. We didn't leave anything out. We had most likely at this point in time have had some type of an awakening, whether it's some kind of a personality change. Maybe it's the way that we feel physically and mentally. Maybe you had an aha God experience. Something has happened that's kept you around long enough. You're happier with the outcome of your life right now. So here's 10, 11, and 12. Have you guys ever heard of emotional sobriety? I used to hear about it all the time. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about until I came off the pink cloud. I was on that baby for a while. And I used to have this impending doom in the pit of my stomach before I came into sobriety. It felt like something bad was going to happen. I used to feel it all the time since I was a little kid. Doctors put a label on it and called it anxiety. I called it ESP 
Like I knew when bad things were going to happen and they always happened in my life. So it just confirmed I was psychic. But that impending doom feeling in the pit of my stomach right here went away in early sobriety. In fact, it was gone for a few months. I was like, I didn't even realize it was gone until one day when it returned. And I was like, oh, what is that? Where did this come from? I started to overanalyze everything. I think I told you this. I I said, maybe I got the wrong sponsor. I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing that wrong. I haven't felt this feeling in a long time. I didn't even realize it was gone until this moment. Something's wrong. And then I learned, I was very, very blessed in in early recovery. I'm sure you guys all know Russell Spatz. He did a step series at the 101 Club in 2007 on Friday night when I first got sober. Right around this time when I was getting this ickies. It was probably January, February 2008. And I heard him say loud and clear, you're either spiritually growing or you're going. And I I might have been in early recovery, and it might not have necessarily been that at that moment, but I needed to hear that that day at that clubhouse from that man. I needed to spiritually grow. I was doing all the things. I was going to meetings. I had a home group. I had a service commitment. I was meeting my sponsor every single day doing step work. But then I was also having sex with the tattoo guy for free tattoos. I was having sex with the with one of my girl's old tricks because I wanted to order Chinese food and I only made $130 a week at Petco. I didn't think it was a big deal. So what? So what? I want to have sex anyways. Somebody's going to pay me for it. These things needed to be tightened up. I needed to grow spiritually. I was also cursing people out of my halfway house because I had a big ego and I really thought that If I didn't talk to other people like that in my halfway house, they would think that I was weak and they would take advantage of that. You know what God did for me? He actually brought another girl in that acts just like me. And I saw her acting like me and I didn't recognize it right away, but I thought to myself, wow, I feel embarrassed for that girl. She sounds so stupid. And then one day it hit me. She is me. I am her. I sound like that. I stopped doing that. I did not want to sound like that girl, look like that girl, act like that girl. I was embarrassed for her, let alone me doing that. I had to either be growing or I was going. We don't stop the day that we come in and get a home group and meet our sponsor once a week. There is more work to be done. So emotional sobriety was all about like, okay, you you, you got sober, you're staying sober. What's the quality of your life? What is the quality of your life? Here in Alcoholics Anonymous, we call it being dry. When you put down the drink and the drug, but you don't spiritually grow. We call it being dry. I would like to call that the quality of my life. If you quit drinking and drugging nine times out of 10, you will probably stop going to jail. You, not always, but Nine times out of 10, you will stop doing the things that cause you to get arrested to go to jail. You may even stop having sex with people for money. That's going to eventually come too because you'll have a conscience. But then there's other things that you don't think is a big deal. But the second you open up your heart to God, he's going to drop it on you like this. 
one problem at a time. The quality of my life began to become more important than anything else. And that's where this inventory in 1011 began to take process. You know, people argue, well, what, which one's the inventory at night? It says it's in 10, but they tell you how to do the inventory in 11. I always tell, ask people, well, do you write a nightly inventory? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, then who cares? What do you care? It's just for argument's sake. You know, what, what I've experienced and my understanding from reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is that, you know, in 10, we're actually just, we're becoming aware that these things are here. We want to continue to be mindful of these things. Be watchful of these things. And then in 86, 87, and 88, it sets us up for a flawless day when we retire at night, exactly what to do. And awakening in the morning, exactly what to do. 86, 87, and 88. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, write it down on your phone right now. Take a note. Start reading it every single day. It lays it out for you in perfection. But I want to tell you not so much about how you do the step because you have a book. All you got to do is read it. You got a sponsor who probably will throw in a couple cool things that they learned on this path. There is nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. I like to keep things simple. Just use the book, but take what people have to offer. It says that in page 86, 87, and 88. But what I want to tell you happened to me during this phase here, I think is the most important part. So here I was fighting to get my third child back into my custody after being removed and told I would never get him back. I had already had two kids not only removed from me six times, but my rights were terminated as a mother. They took the third kid, automatically sent him into the adoption goal. They were not going to give me an opportunity to get this child God intervened, stepped in. I told you guys about the girl who went to court for me that I ended up owing an amends to eight years later that I cracked in the skull. All these things were working out in what I like to think was my favor. But there were other things going on that didn't seem like a big deal to me. They didn't seem like a big deal. I was doing all the stuff, man. When I, was, when I learned about 10 and 11, I was so hyped already for God long before that, that I was sitting in Indian style, breathing and incense. I mean, I was trying to do anything to get closer to God. Levitate. I don't know what the hell I was doing, but I was like in love with God. I was trying to get closer to him every day. And that father of mine saw my desire for him like nobody's business. So even though there was so much turbulence going on in my life, I did not recognize any of it. I didn't even notice half the time. It was other people who had to point it out to me. For example, here I am, I'm going to court. All these things are happening. I was told that I had to do an outpatient program at Spectrum. I had to do a probation program at the Deerfield Beach Courthouse. I had to do a psychosocial. I had to do a 
hair follicle tests every week for a long time. I had bald spots all over my head. I did not have a car. I did not have a driver's license. I had a bus pass. When they called me and told me that I had to go do a hair follicle, you have two hours to get there. I had to get on the bus no matter what I was doing, even if it was in the middle of the workday, and I had to get on it and go to it. I got supervised visitations with that little baby at Child Protective Services, at a corner McDonald's, at a park place with either a guardian at litem, the foster mother who I did not know. I got to hold my baby and an hour later give him away to somebody else and, you know, sadly see him go. I had to do all of these things that seemed like no problem. That was not me. That was not me in any way, shape, or form. So here I am. I'm about to get my son back. They're like, whoa, 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 this girl's actually recovered. Holy crap. You know, at this point, my kid's been in foster care for nine months. They've seen a whole transformation happen. I'm over here working steps, sponsoring girls, have a job, paying bills, doing things that people do when you're sober. They're like, we're going to give you back your kid. We're going to give your kid back this weekend. I'm like, get out of town. They're like, nope, dead serious. I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool. I go home. I'm barely making enough to get a bus pass and a pack of cigarettes, let alone food in my refrigerator. Like I ain't making nothing. And I'm like, that's fine. It's going to work itself out. I'll apply for food stamps or something like that. We'll be good. Everything's going to be great. But wait a minute. They're going to make sure I have a stroller and a crib and a car seat and all these things. They're not just going to let me take it back. By the way, I was renting a 500 square foot place in Pompano with my sponsor at the time. It was tiny. We were like sleeping on top of each other. I'm like, where, where, where am I going to get this stuff from? My phone goes ring, ring, ring. I'm like, hello. Hey, is this Bobby? Yeah, it's Bobby. Hey, this is a care coordinator over at Spectrum. We've got something down here for you. I think you're going to want to see it. Oh, really? Yeah. Can you get a ride? I'm like, yeah, I guess I could try to get a ride right now. Called a friend from the program that drove me over to Spectrum in Pompano Beach. They handed me over an envelope. It was a $1,000 voucher to Walmart. A $1,000. The voucher just said, you have to schedule a time to meet so-and-so at Walmart and take this voucher with you. So-and-so met me at Walmart. They let me pick out whatever I wanted for $1,000. I got a stroller and a car seat and a playpen, yada, yada, yada. All worked out. On Friday, I am at work. Mind you, I'm getting him back on Saturday. I got fired from my job. I got home. I told my sponsor I got fired from my job. She's like, are you going to tell the people? I'm like, I'm not telling nobody. They're bringing my son here tomorrow. I'll work out the kinks later. I am not telling them anything. And I get right on the computer and I start updating a resume. And I'm looking at the newspaper. You still looked at the newspaper then. And uh, I'm applying for jobs. My sponsor comes out. She's in a panic. She's like, I can't believe this is happening. Right before you get Malachi back. Goes back in her room, comes back out. She's like, this is crazy. Like, where are you going to work? Can you call your boss and be like, what the hell? She'd go back into her room and come back in. She's like, I think there's something wrong with you. I think you should be a little bit more upset about the situation. I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm just, 
just, what can I, you know, what I do? She goes back in her room. She comes back out. She goes, guess what you're doing? You're handling situations which used to baffle you. That's what's going on. (laughs) And I said, yeah, and you are baffled. So she went on. Long story short, they brought my son Saturday. It was the most amazing day of my life. And they left, and I, I, I held him. I loved him every single day. Um, I got on the city bus down Dixie Highway, went to a meeting every day that week. And at the meeting place, he'd be in the stroller. I'd be in the newspaper looking for a job. One day I get back from the 101 Club. I was living in Crest Haven, so it was a little trek down. And I got home, and there was a big paper on our door that's, that said that this house was being um, not, we weren't getting uh, evicted, but the house was in foreclosure. That's what it was. It was in foreclosure. And we had 30 days to move out. I was like, excuse me? We've been paying $250 a week to live in this place. Like, what's going on? Come to find out the lady we're giving the money to has been smoking crack and she has not been paying her mortgage. We had 30 days to move out. I said, I'll be damned. Well, we're going to have to figure something out. I don't know where I'm going to go. Started calling some friends from AA. I'm like, I got this kid. They're not going to let me keep him in a halfway house. Somebody's got to help me out here. What can I do? We're using prayer. We're doing this and that. But at the whole time that this was going on, I felt some peace and ease. Like I just knew everything was going to be okay come home from the 101 club. I open up the mailbox. It says addressed to Bobby Linkhorn, Broward County housing authority. I was like, what is this? Open it up. Congratulations. You've been approved for section eight housing. I'm like me. (laughs) I've never applied for section eight housing. What are they talking about? Nobody gets section eight housing. This is a joke. I'm reading it. I'm making sure it's legit. It's not bogus. I call my child protective service worker. I'm like, I got approved for a section of housing. Do you know anything about this? She's like, oh my God, completely forgot to tell you. I applied for section eight housing for you like a month ago. And you got it? I'm like, yeah, I freaking got it. I was like, whoa, mind blown. Get out of here. So here I am. I got a section eight voucher. I don't know what to do with it. So I go and I check out the online section. I start going and checking out places to live. I found this cute two-bedroom duplex on the east side of Federal in the nice neighborhood right behind Publix with the bougie houses. I was like, get out of town. I'm going to have a, this place. Long story short, the, the owners are like, yeah, we'll take you. We love you already. Um, I moved up in there and I got a job, obviously, and things started to progressively get better. I ended up living in that house for seven and a half years before I moved into, that was a 750 square foot place. Me and my son, um, he lived there for seven years. I've never had a kid in my custody live anywhere for more than three months at a time, let alone seven freaking years. So, you know, things, um, they were perfect, exactly the way that they were supposed to be. And I um, was at the 101 one night, and I was there. My grand sponsor was greeting at the door, 
And I was telling him about all these crazy things going on. And he's like, well, what step are you on? I said, I'm on the 11th step. He said, oh, sought through prayer, meditation, improve your conscious contact with God as you understood him, praying only for the knowledge of your will from power carry out. I'm like, yeah. He's like, sounds like you're improving your conscious contact with him. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, the whole time you were going through all these things, you never doubted that it was going to be okay. I said, you're damn right. I never once thought that anything bad was going to happen. I just knew it was going to be okay. And he said, that's what it is. That's what it feels like to have a conscious contact with your creator. And I was sold. I mean, I was already sold to an Alcoholics Anonymous, but I was sold. I wanted to turn my entire life over to him always. And don't get me wrong. I've been far from perfect. I've been in crazy relationships. I've made bad decisions. I've gotten into fights that were not necessary. I've, you know, I've left jobs that were probably not so responsible in ways I did it. Like I have not been perfect by any means, but the one thing, and I'm so grateful for it, that no matter what I've been through in this life, since I started this journey with God is that I have yet to doubt the power of God. And what's super cool is I know a hundred percent I'm on the winning side and he's a big fan of mine. He, he doesn't co-sign me by any means, and he's a disciplinary father. But he loves me so much that he has never once left my side during anything. Example, I'm pregnant. First of all, I met a guy. You know how that goes. Well, mind you, I wasn't with a man, by the way. For seven years. That's a long time. I don't know if you guys know that. I don't even know what male parts look like at this point. I tell my husband all the time I was a born-again virgin at this point. I mean, we, may, we, joke, we joke about it. I'm like, well, at least you'll never run into anybody I had sex with. <laughs> They're all dead now, I'm sure. But anyways, um, here I am. Seven years, no, no guys, none. I'm talking about no, nothing, period. No dating, no kissing, no uh, the other stuff, none of it. And then I meet a guy. He's cute. He lives at the Lamb of God. You know, he's on like community control. <laughs> Perfect, right? So, right? He's... 11 years younger than me. I don't think anything. I'm like, oh, he's such a cute kid. What a cutie. Anyways, long story short, he ends up being my boyfriend. And um, everybody's like, man, there's something wrong with this situation. He's too young. He's early in recovery. He's at the Lamb of God. He's on community control. You know, all the things. Like, clearly, it looks like a bad idea. And I'm just like, man, I'm just having fun. I'm having fun. I'm seven years sober. Long story short, he ended up being the best, absolute best gift I have ever received in my life. And I say that with holding back tears because, you know, he's still my husband. And of course, I treat him like a husband. You know, you husbands out there know what I mean. Um, But 
at the end of the day, I know for a fact it was a divine intervention for me. It was a divine intervention from me. And I won't go into those details with you, but in a very short period of time, he moved in, we got engaged, we got married, we had a baby. We did all the things that I probably would have done had I not been an alcoholic, like in that order. Um, And literally, the day I committed to marry this man... That lion, that disease, that evil Satan himself began to work. I know it for a fact he did not like the idea of me committing my life in front of God with another human being, a man specifically. And things started to happen. I got married within 24 hours after my wedding my husband's mom overdosed and she died. We showed up to the house. His father was there. They were still together. They were using in a flop house in Pompano. We picked up the dad. We had to get a bigger place. He was in a wheelchair. He had one leg. We had to figure out something to accommodate him, but we had no money. Crazy story. My best friend and her husband were at my house. And he's looking at my dog and he's like, something's wrong with your dog. I'm like, there's something wrong with my dog. He's like, yeah, your dog is really overweight, Bobby. I go, no, my dog is fine. My dog looks fine. No, your dog is overweight. And I look at her and I'm like, really? So I pick her up. Her stomach is this big. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't even notice. She lives with me every day. I thought she was just normal. I take her to the vet. She's got five babies in her stomach. These are French bulldogs, by the way. I wasn't planning on breeding her for another year. I had no idea she'd gotten pregnant. She's about to pop. Long story short, five French bulldogs. You know what that means, right? A lot of money. I literally sold every one of those puppies the day the puppy was born. That got me into the the house that accommodated the dad, the wheelchair. Crazy, right? Four weeks to the day, I get a phone call. My dad overdosed and died. He ain't never coming back. He's gone. He lost his life to this disease. It was hard. My husband is still grieving his mother. Now we're grieving my father. I'm pregnant. I'm really super big. It was my best friend's birthday. I spent all morning baking these beautiful cupcakes. I was so excited to bring them to her house. Her husband, it wasn't her husband then, but he was going to propose to her on this day. I was so excited. So I get this trays and I'm walking out to my car. Mind you, I'm 225 pounds. And I stepped wrong off of my doorstep. And I twisted my foot like this. And literally, my whole 225 pound body went down on both feet. I literally broke both of my feet. My husband was at a men's spiritual retreat. I had to call him. I was in the yard. laid out like a whale. I was in so much pain. He comes hustling home from the West Coast. I go to the ER. It was terrible. I lived in a two-story house, guys. I couldn't get up and down the stairs. You want to hear the best part about it all? I couldn't even get up to use the bathroom. Here's my husband, 11 years younger than me. Just got married barely been together a year. Who do you think's got to clean me up every time I got to go to the bathroom in my bed? 
my husband. Funny. It wasn't funny then. Next thing you know, I find out the baby's so big that we can't have her naturally. We're going to have to cut her out of you on Monday, September 11th. We have it scheduled. Next thing you know, Hurricane Irma's coming. We have to get her out of you sooner. We're going to do it on the Friday the 8th, day before Hurricane Irma came. I had that baby by C-section. I did it with no narcotics. Today, if I know what I know now, I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) I would have taken the frickin' narcotics, okay? But I was in such excruciating pain. I bled everywhere all the time. I couldn't move. My husband was on lockdown in the hospital because of the hurricane. He couldn't go out to do anything but take care of my bloody 225-pound body. It was terrible. I get home with a newborn baby, and guess what? We ain't got electricity for a week. It was rough. Speed things up because time's about to go out. In a very short period of time, my husband's uncle wasn't feeling good on a Friday. He went to the hospital and found out he had liver cancer. He died on Monday. Two months later, my stepdaughter's grandmother got pneumonia. She was sick for a day. She went to the hospital that night and died. A couple of months later, my husband's father overdosed in a motel on 441 in Margate. A couple of months later, my cousin, my baby cousin Alicia, who I named my kid after, she was my best friend growing up, she overdosed and died. A few months later, we got a phone call that in Daytona Beach, my husband's sister, who was a year older than him, was found in a hotel room. She had overdosed and died. My kid's father was on, uh, you know, he wasn't doing well for a long time. I got a phone call that said, hey, you have to come say goodbye to him. He's not going to make it. He died the night I came and said goodbye to him. Literally, it was a crazy year. It never stopped. And I do believe that it all was because I said, I'm going to commit my life before him with this man, and we are going to do God's work to the best of our ability. And here's the facts that no matter what happened during that entire time, me nor my husband ever once doubted God's plan. In fact, he has removed anything that was blocking us in our heart. We had so much illness spread through our whole entire family. And I hate to say it like this, but it's a fact. God literally came and he removed all of it. We are made anew. We have now come before our children and we've laid path for a completely different legacy. Nothing that our family laid out for us. If that's not a true miracle of God, I don't know what is. So with that being said, I'm going to shut up now because Mike's up on his podium. Thank you guys for letting me share. Let's thank Bobby again. Um, Now we're going to have Dave with the secretary's report. Hi, my name is David, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. 
in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of some of the chairs, and um, if you're joining us on Zoom, uh, there should be a QR code on your screen. Um, and I have asked Harry to come up and read the recovered statement. Hey guys, Harry Alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body, page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe in experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. Is there anyone in the room needing a sponsor? Okay, everybody's sponsored up. Um, if anybody's too shy to raise their hand, uh, you can come up to the front of the room at the end and somebody will uh, come and speak with you. Can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay, the tradition at this meeting is if your hand is not raised, we suggest that you hang out with those whose hands are. Broward County Intergroup is where you'll, uh, you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating the where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Please stop by and visit them. Next. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us uh, who can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly on the second Saturday of every month to organize uh, meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Do we have any members of BCIC here? Okay, well, if not, just show up at the meeting there. Here are some upcoming service opportunities. There should be flyers in the back for all of them on the literature table. Uh, the second gratitude dinner planning meeting will be held on Saturday, June 10th at 1.30 p.m. at the 12th Step House. Apparently, the only way to get a ticket to the, uh, the gratitude dinner is to show up at one of these planning meetings and sign up for some sort of service. Next. Founders Day Picnic 2023, uh, June 4th. Uh, from 11 to 4, uh, that's for AA's uh, 88th anniversary at Snyder Park. $10 in advance, $12 at the park, and kids under eight, uh, kids eight and under eat for free. Uh, for limited time, you can subscribe to the Grapevine for a year and get a free book from aagrapevine.org. And 
on October 27th to the 29th uh, is the second annual uh, Bull in a China Shop Corral, which means that it's a men's 12-step surrender gathering. And um, uh, two weeks from now, uh, we will be starting a four-week uh, speaker series uh, with Marion. So uh, come for that. And of course, uh, we have my other home group, which is our Monday night uh, step study, big book study meeting. Uh, it's where the big book comes alive, as we say every week. Fellowship starts at 6.30, and big book study, uh, study starts at 7.15. Please join us. Um, we have CDs, mugs, large print books, and little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the literature table in the back. And we meet here every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. We have tonight's session and all the past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle at the end. Let's close the Lord's Prayer. Who woke us up this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, that we give our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
out and growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time. That's at my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to smile. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Just won't say 